0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Here we go. I'm excited. The plane has left the gate we're getting onto the runway, the control tower's like, "Get the hell out of here!" And away we go. I'm excited for this one. Who am I talking to? There's so many things to say about him. He's an entrepreneur, a communicator, a creator, a writer, and let's be honest, storytelling badass. And in pick your medium: speeches, copy, short stories, short films. He's the founder and creative director of Human Factor Media. Zach Slingsby, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Casey. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. This is cool. I love this. I love talking to creators and and folks who who take the ideas of the sky and put them into things that we can consume, you know? And Mm so with that, I want to go ahead and grab Thor's hammer and I'll pass it to you. So here you go. Here's Thor's hammer. Okay. Go ahead and grab that. You got it? I
1: got it. Thank you. All
0: right. Backhanded. Uh, You must have strong arms, sir, to take Thor's hammer. Just one hand. Invincibly strong. Yes. Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all.
1: Okay. The myth that I would like to destroy. Let's see. I think that uh, a myth that I think is now being destroyed everywhere is the idea that the best way to sell something is to talk about it. And I think that that's, that's something we take for granted. If you want to sell something, you have to talk about it. If a brand has a product that they want to sell, They have to talk about it all the time and uh, talk about it until people understand every possible facet and feature of it. I think that entertainment is the new advertising. I think that the Mad Men era is gone. I think that now if we want people to notice our brand, we can't run a commercial. uh, We have to put on a show. And I think uh, that the, the folks who are doing that Uh, Are rewarded, and the ones who are running ads and commercials, like it's still 1960 or 1980 or 1990 or even 2000, uh, are finding out that most of their money is being wasted. Wow! Preach, preach! Yeah,
0: like that's this is happening. This has happened already. This is this is like past tense, almost to the point where it's like if you are still. I mean, Mad Men is a cool show, but man, that that was a long time ago, right? Like people are outdated if you still have that mindset, but we still see it a lot. And the fact that that money is wasted, damn! Why? Why are we in this? Why is that misconception still a thing? Well, it's hard to
1: shake it off. I mean, all of us grew up, myself included, just understanding that commercials were a, were a necessary irritation in life. You watched a show, and the price of watching that show was that you had to sit through uh, a bunch of short jingle laden, adjective-laden sort of uh, little ads. And um, <laughs> yeah. you just kind of ignored them and talked to your friends or your family or go in and got some more popcorn and you came back to watch the rest of the show. Um, so we just have this in our in the DNA of our culture that interruptions and irritations and, and these quick uh, uh, sales pitches are the way that we engage one another in commerce. What's happening now, which is so cool, is... Is brands are saying, "Well, we don't have to do that." It turns out we actually can get more customer loyalty. We can earn more. Uh, we can earn more credit with the people we want to sell to if we genuinely entertain them. If we bypass this strategy of disrupting their leisure and actually go to the source of where they're they're getting their entertainment and create what we call branded entertainment, branded content, uh, short films, uh, creative, uh, creative. Uh, efforts to entertain them instead of annoy them and uh we think it's an amazing time to be creative people because now brands are turning out to be these stages for creativity and uh, that obviously wasn't always the case brands are stages for
0: creativity damn how are we even talking this is great man what the, the way you even describe it You must've been a speech writer in a past life. We'll get to that. But so true that I give going to the source when you're mentioning that it just made me think of Red Bull, right? Yeah. If you had an, if you had an ad, sometimes you need a Red Bull gives you wings, right? Let's go. But if you, if you had an ad in the middle of your favorite show, they always come just at the wrong moment, right? Like Mm. something terrible has happened. Someone's crying and they're like, Hey, how's your day going? You're like, guys, guys, show some empathy here, man. Like, they, they should time the ads to what's happening. Like, oh, did little Timmy just die? Here, you know, like, here's a Red Bull. Like, <laughs> but, but So, that interruption is out, to your point. But the idea of the fact that on my Apple TV, there's a Red Bull TV channel that I watch all the time. They're, like, there you go. jumping off of cliffs, cliff diving, yeah. the rock climbing, they're... I, like they got me all day on that. Oh, dude, versus- they're fantastic. And yeah. the
1: documentary, the little documentaries they're making. There's a great oh day that uh, that does their documentaries that we've engaged with a little bit, uh, just uh called Just So. Um, and they're amazing. And they they they're they're pros. They're like the closers in this field. We're we're coming up, but they're they're like amazing, you know, like and they uh they do Red Bull's work. And uh to hear them talk about it, elevating branded content to the level of genuine entertainment, it's exactly what they're doing.
0: Yeah. And then it it's not a problem. I don't have right. that that weird barter. And to be honest, like I've paid for YouTube Red for as long as I can remember, years now. Yeah. Because the stupid ads were too yeah. stupid. They weren't entertaining enough. And they just interrupted me. Yeah. And it was worth the $12 to to YouTube to just not have to ever deal with that ever again.
1: You have cable? I do have cable and it you? blows my mind. There's Most still ads. People on don't. Most people don't have cable anymore. I mean, it's crazy. Well, that's they true. Cut the, they cut the cord. The cord cutters are growing at a crazy rate. And um, yeah, all these traditional ways that we consume content are changing really quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm far from the first one to point that out. I mean, I think yeah. everyone's making or changing their strategies accordingly. But I, I do. I think it's a really exciting time for, for branded creativity
0: yeah i might just have to do that at some point i might have to get rid of the cable thing i I keep it for like being able to get the sports games but i know that people there's a way to do that maybe just pay for nfl or something and then yeah so there's a way to chris rock if chris
1: rock hadn't gotten smacked how many people you think would be talking about the oscars right now oh yes um 13 maybe (laughs) it's like you did like those big cultural moments they still pop but they usually pop the next day on a short video like most people didn't watch that live they percent. Some somebody sent them a meme, you know.
0: Yeah, thirteen people watched that live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thirteen million watched the the clip over and over again of the guy getting slapped. Was that staged or not? What do you think?
1: No, I don't think it was staged. I don't think it was staged. It was great you?
0: branded entertainment, though.
1: That was great. Do you think it was staged?
0: Um, yeah, I go back and forth on this. It's kind of a conspiracy theory, it, but here's the thought that maybe makes it potentially like it was staged is because. It's almost a perfect situation. The joke was bad, but not too bad. The slap was bad, but it wasn't a punch. So it was like this mediocre on both ends, right? Yeah. And you can take either person's side. and It's very well balanced. So maybe it's just, hey, life created a well-balanced situation, but it almost seems too balanced. Like the joke wasn't that bad. And then also the slap wasn't that bad until he
1: started swearing at him well that's chairs. that's the part once yeah. you see that you're like ah, it's tough to fabricate that level of emotional intensity he could do it though he could do he's an actor he's, he's an actor. actor and chris rock ate that slap that was amazing he didn't even he didn't even put his hand like he just shook it you off know, like two to seconds. his credit it's almost that faking, was phenomenal right yeah maybe because you're like
0: what he didn't even move yeah. or anything he just sort of
1: yeah i don't know so you, you don't think it, you think it's real bit. Yeah. I think it was real. I don't think, uh, well, um, I don't think Chris rock, um, knew it was coming. He, cause he didn't have a joke. He didn't have any jokes. He was flabbergasted. He was, he was, (laughs) he was, was, uh, he was stunned and Will Smith seemed, uh, incredibly volatile sitting in the rows there. And uh, I don't think that was fake either. And they have obvious severe and possibly, uh, very troubling marital problems. So, so, uh, um, they, you know, yeah. I, I thought I do think that was all genuine going to get sued yeah. by Will Smith's lawyers. And, but yeah,
0: well, that's the thing, right? I won't press charges as long as you, you know, shuck me a couple million from your uh, bankroll there. Friend. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> or you could go to jail. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So so talk to me about, you know, we know why this is happening. It's it's hard to shake with, with your words. The entertainment's the here. I love the way you said that the brands are the stages and the branded content and the films are replacing the old day ads. How do we approach this, right? How do you make, maybe you've, you've shucked it off. You realize ads aren't really performing like they used to. How do you make your foray into this?
1: Sure, Um well, look, first, it's not like it's an easy decision when you're on this precipice of, of cultural change. You know, like it's not like um, it's obvious that every brand should do this strategy because it's not. Some brands will say they have a mousetrap that's working for them digitally. They have I, I we, we we talk to brands all the time who say this right They're They're running um ads. They have a positive ROAS, which to people who don't know was return on ad spend. And so they, they, if they're getting a 2X or 3X or 4X ROAS, it's very hard to disturb the comfort of that pattern to go out and take a chance on something creative. By definition, creativity is hard to systematize and to get right. So you're automatically in the realm of chance-taking once you decide that you're going to go out and do something that would be way more uh, story-driven, way more narrative-driven, way more subject to the whims of taste, let's say. Um, so I understand that. I empathize with all that. Um, you're also, when you're getting into that, you know, nine out of 10 shows fail. So, you know, why wouldn't your show possibly not do that great? It's like all true, you know? And so the question is only, um, is there a possible reward in there that is so immeasurably, uh, worth the chance. And I, most case studies in this realm demonstrate that there is, you know, I mean, you're, when you're comparing head to head as we have with, with our clients, um, a branded narrative brand video versus a sales video, all the metrics are overwhelmingly in favor of the story. Um, so I guess that, that comes to how do we make a story and not, not an ad, right. And why should you do it? Um, do you, I can pause there if there's anything that you want me to dive into further before we move on to that.
0: Yeah. What isn't there to dive into that? I, I think that the follow-up question I, I was sitting on was the idea of, do you have to pick, pick one? Can
1: you do both? Sure. You should do both. We make both. I mean, look, we don't make, we say, on our thing we, like, we won't make ads, but if we're making a campaign and the campaign is narrative driven, mm-hmm. can you create. You know, if if you're doing four or five minute episodes, let's say, can you create a few fifteen to thirty second cuts that act as the gateway to all that other stuff? You know, and so in other words, you're you're making your long form stuff. You know, you're doing something that's more narratively sophisticated. Can you also create short content that can act as uh, brand awareness, or maybe even you know lower? Would you say lower on in the funnel to drive sales? Absolutely, you should. I mean, it's not like you shouldn't ever have anything that talks about what you do, you need to do that. But the question is, is that a primary strategy or is that a complementary strategy? And we would, we would advise that it, that it'd be the, the latter. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's not, I think that you first wanted to decide, um, do you care about reaching people? You know, I mean, because some brands really don't, they don't care. They want to be there right when you're at a purchasing decision. You know, we spoke to someone who was um, running the campaigns of a pretty famous or pretty well-known mattress company. Right. And they were like, you know, like an old school
0: mattress company or like a new school,
1: modern, snazzy, cool, uh, comfortable, like, you know, what does it rhyme with? Well, (laughs) very well uh, integrated digitally um, and had very sleek branding. And they were like, people don't know who we are, and we don't care. We care about if they know when they're googling for mattresses. Do that? Can they find us first? And they're putting their holes back into that. And there's, I, I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong to do that, you know. That, but the question is, does that does that strategy have an ending? Have, have an expiration date? And in most cases, when you find an ad asset that works, it works for a while, yeah. and then the cycle of pumping money into receive an ROI eventually runs out, and you've got to find a new piece of content or a new audience or a new demo. And, you know, and there's, this is, these are all highly pressurized stakes. Um, so it's, it's like, I understand why you would, you would be tempted to just do what's working in the short term, but I think we just should be clear that it is a short term strategy.
0: You know, it comes to mind. Some of the things like, um, some of the car commercial, uh, car insurance commercials, right. Um, geico is constantly swapping in a funny little narrative about something yes there's a gecko but it's not always really highlighted and so they're not really dependent on one and i've I've heard conversations where other ones like you know don't get too dependent on flow or on a main character or even the guy from god the guy who really is breakout character for the um the body wash um old spice, right? Yeah. 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 They they, had some hits, but they were smart to move on and, and not center their entire brand around that one story because Mm -hmm. to your point, eventually it's, it's an old story.
1: Mm. Sure. Yeah. And then, and just some of the best, um, this morning we had a call with an agency partner of ours who was going over, um, their most successful ads. They were showing us just examples for a different project. And, um, they couldn't they they said this one got us our record, a record row as 63x return on investment from wow. they put 40 grand in, they got like million two million dollars out. They, they it lasted about three months and then it went down to five X, then it went down to two X, and then it went to zero. And it's amazing, it's amazing how you just run. Out. I mean, you probably know you're back. You I mean, how many times have you had you found like you, you fit you finally found the magic way oh, yeah. to turn on the funnel or to turn on the tap of and then eventually for whatever reason it sputters out it just doesn't yeah. hold the audience dries up or the, the retargeting isn't as effective or the messaging sometimes gets stale. it's slow right yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a slow death
0: which is why right, companies right. are still dependent right. on it and it reminds me of you know spam email or cold calling or yeah. direct mail you know, hey it Get worked it, or it still works at 2% sure. so we'll just hire a thousand more people so that 2% sure. can be a larger number um, tricky, and then also your description of the the waning response to an ad reminds me of like what happens to a LinkedIn ad in a day, when you're like, oh, it's our best campaign, and tomorrow it's terrible. So you right. don't want to put yourself out there in front of the CEO, yeah, because it's gonna deteriorate quickly.
1: Yeah. Yes. Correct. And I'm I'm just going off of what's obvious in the market. Like I'm on I'm on rocky ground when I start to talk about marketing because I'm not a marketer, and my mm. background's not in marketing. My background's right. in in creative world. And so I tried to find ways to vindicate that the the claim that I'm very biased in making that you're much better off doing docu series, you know, entertaining content, comedy driven stuff, narrative, like the stuff that we are, we like to make, I think is much better off in the market than these short term strategies. Um, and I think that just I think it are just borne out by data and testimony and the, and the best brand, the most uh, brand, the, the, most celebrated brands are the ones that are doing this. And so you, there's a correlation there that you just can't, you know, ignore. How do you do it? What, what, what does it entail? What is this, the correct solution entail? Okay. So, um, so let's think about, um, how do you know you're making a story and not an ad? Let's say. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So let's break it down. So a story, first thing I would say is a story is, is not about a product okay you're not telling a story if this if you're if the punchline of the story is is the product at the end of the video or in our case video right a story is fundamentally about people uh e. forrester wrote in aspects of a novel the difference between um a story and a plot right a story is uh the king died and then the queen died okay those are events they happen in sequential order that's a story the difference between that and a plot is uh the king died and then the queen died of grief so they, you now you're connecting the events and that's the next step is you have momentum you have narrative momentum because you have events that matter to one another and matter to a, a conclusion of, about human beings um story at its most basic level is th- things are happening you know you there's when you watch all, I don't know if you're a fan of old movies, but it's it's unbelievable to watch movies from the 40s and 50s, the noirs, because they're much different than the movies that are made now. Movies that are yeah. made today are very cerebral, and they one or two events will be stretched out over hour over two hours. About you know, um, and then obviously there's the other extreme of that. There are action movies there. everything's happening all the time. But but a basic good quality drama that would get recognized, like at the Oscars or something, it's it's usually. Um, about a couple of things, it's very character-driven, um, and it's spaced out. The old movies—it's amazing how much story they pack into 90 <laughs> minutes or 80 yeah. minutes. Like stuff happens in every scene, and the whole idea of that was—you know—you um, were getting off the subject here, but just as a, as an exercise, oh, yeah, it's cool. yeah. The the whole idea of that is, you would pitch movies based on how good the story was. And you go into a room with a bunch of people smoking cigars and they would say, what's your thing about? And they got, and they would say, well, uh, this dame meets this guy and she breaks his heart and runs to Vegas and takes the fortune back here and then he catches up with her and then 20 minutes later, uh, her cousin comes in and it turns out he was a communist and then uh, you know so they, they have all these different elements and the thing is how many elements can you pack in and still have it make sense and have great dialogue and have memorable moments and scenes but the, the conceit of every film. Was that so much was going to happen mm. and um you see it shows up in in all in, in many 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 classics i mean casablanca maltese falcon i don't know if you've seen it but they, they are just like one thing after another yeah um so so Whereas we have a lot modern, day, the,
0: modern day modern uh, day
1: do the same description but
0: of a modern day
1: movie um the the this, the kind of archetype for a modern day yeah movie. yeah like okay if you're pitching at, a modern movie. Yeah. Look at full um, people.
0: They don't have cigars. Probably.
1: No. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, (laughs) David Mamet was on Joe Rogan recently and he talked about what was wrong. Yeah. It was talked about what was wrong with the, what, why movies were dying. And I don't know if, you know, people will say that movies aren't and people have different opinions on this, but I agreed with his conclusion. And one of the things he said was that movies used to be made by people who had a hunch that the story was compelling enough to be successful and it would be a studio head and they would say, okay, you know, you seem like you have some promise as a, as a writer or as a filmmaker. Here's a couple million dollars. Go make it. And I'm going to try to sell it and make a little bit more than what you made it for. And now they're made by boardrooms of people who are mm-hmm. trying to plug um, very specific criteria into, um, into certain slots and hope that something comes out that can be sold in very specific ways into very specific markets. And many of those are overseas too um so uh it's been corporatized I, and I don't and obviously look obviously old school Hollywood left a lot to be desired I don't think anyone wants to go back to some of those models but uh I, I do think that there's something missing some texture of um of, of what comprised serious drama and serious introspective uh art form that way that is does seem to be missing you know writ large from the movie industry today um
0: and sometimes the archetype was actually it was there, but it wasn't in your face and was sort of hidden and it was revealed slowly versus, I mean, it's not even camp, but it's like, Oh God, look this. And then, Oh, there's going to be a car scene. Uh, the one that killed me was uh, ready player one. Have you mm. read that? Read the book or heard I, of the book? No. Um, I had heard of it, but I saw on Audible that, you know, a lot of these sci-fi books have like 400 reviews, 500, 100. This one had like 14,000 five-star reviews. So I was like, I should probably check this out. Will Wheaton narrated it, did a great job. Mm. And it was a great, it was a really good book, really good book. So when the movie came out, of course, there's going to be a movie. Sure. There was a car chase scene in the first five minutes. There is not a car chase scene in that movie, nor would there should there ever be. That there was no need for it. Um, and so, but like they just literally turned that into a trite, you know, formulaic car chase scene. And it, the fact that every movie has one, I would just like one to have not have a car chase scene. Please, for the love of God, do it elsewhere. Or or you know, I found in the old movies too, I know we're ranting on this, but they could convey a lot without, without swearing. So I've even found that like right now our kids are watching like murder. She wrote and, and even like, um, what was that one in Hawaii with like Magnum PI? Guess what? When they, when someone died, there were, there's a body on the ground, maybe a dribble of blood out of their mouth. And you're like, Ooh, they died. And like, let's figure it out. You didn't have to have to see it, you know, and they didn't have to swear to create drama or anger or controversy. So they were relying that,
1: on, they were relying on story. They knew they had good they story. Were they were relying on story, right? They were, they the were decoration relying, or the
0: icing exactly. around it. You know, not that you can't swear, but like it, it they, you didn't need it. It was superfluous to the whole situation
1: because there was so much already there. Modern movies rely on so much in addition to story, and some of it we're better yeah. off for, but some of it were, I think, is, is way, we're way worse off. I mean, now we have these amazing cinema experiments and cinematography, and it's a lot more visually captivating and engaging. But some filmmakers will hang their hat on that, and you say, "Well, okay, but what is this about? You know, am I enjoying any of what I'm seeing, or is it is it horribly, uh, you know, um, tedious?" And then um, um, uh, to your point about uh, the old stuff, yeah it's so true. It, it's very, um, it's very strange. Here's, here's, here's an interesting thing. So some of the, some of the independent filmmakers who are doing really interesting stuff today, they have to do it outside the mainstream, because to your point, like there, there's a trap there that you, once you enter into that world, um, all these other, like you said, the sprinkling of the decor that goes on a story they they're, they know that they're, uh ideas and their visions are going to be uh subject to that and yeah. so um they the uh, the duplass brothers are a great example of this this is actually very relevant to our conversation so yeah. the, du- the mark and j duplass are independent filmmakers and um they uh, have done some amazing stuff and they're very creative guys and they made just their own movies with like a very old school movie, ca- like an independent film camera for years. And then oh, they got cool. some attention from some distributors and now they can do a lot of their stuff. So Marvel Marvel offered them $100 million to make three movies for them. They said, we'll give you guys $100 million. more movie, more money than they had ever probably been uh, has, has been available to them to make their films. They said, no, they turned them down. And they, they went instead, not making this up, and they created an agency called DP Donut, which is a branded entertainment agency. So they literally turned down $100 million of Hollywood money to go make short films for brands because they thought that was going to be a more creative experience and a more, a more creatively freeing experience. Than uh, making uh, taking hundred million dollars of Marvel's money and making movies that were going to be subject to to a studio uh, conditions.
0: Yeah, it's very you, telling. Yeah, that that yeah, it's amazing. It that I'm not respect to those guys for for doing that, and you could tell it was not about the money; it was about the craft, you right. know, And about the story, right? About the tagline. And have you done like Game of Thrones? Have you seen any of those? Or yeah, yeah. So like the the final season. If you, had you heard about the the controversy around that, or
1: the controversy around the final season? Yeah, Although I don't know what is it. Did I you like the sense. final season? Did you watch um, the end? Yeah, I watched it. I liked it. I don't remember fully, but I remember. I, I know people hated it. Um, yeah, no, I hated it. And uh,
0: <laughs> why did you hate it? I, I also, in between the seasons, I, I like listened to the books. Um, which okay. I obviously had even more detail. But no, they did yeah. such a fantastic job of it. Yeah. Um, until the final season, apparently the two ri- the two writer producers uh, for that, who I used to have mad respect for, um, there's talks about having them launch a Game of Thrones type show all around Star Wars. Okay. So they had an upcoming contract to do a multi-season series around Star Wars. So they, they're literally their brains in the final season of this epic story that needs to be told shifted. Oh, over I didn't to- know that yeah shifted wow. over to let's launch this crappy star wars uh show and then in the end what you see is kind of a rush job at the uh, end and tell us uh, instead wow. of telling the story like oh wow all of these people die and all it's all resolved sort of at the end and people kill people and it's like wait what just happened And, and the worst villain of all time of all history ever was like killed like pretty quickly mm. and you're like wow oh that's all it took I'm not sure why I was so worried, but it's because they had shifted their focus elsewhere. Wow. They they took that hundred million, essentially. And of course, that series never even even launched. So it was kind of like "Ah." David
1: David Benioff. Yes, Benioff. Interesting background on that guy. He was an English teacher and then he wrote he was trying to be a novelist and he eventually wrote a novel that was published and made into a movie called 25th Hour Hmm. with Ed Norton. And the novel was very good, and the movie was excellent. And then he, I think, wrote Troy. And then um, oh, Troy is really good. And yeah, then really he good. used, and then he got. Yeah, it was very successful. And then he got into um, Game of Thrones. I guess from that, from the success of that, um, I've dot always that thought dot, he was a great and Then he became a complete sellout, <laughs> and then ignored the final season of his opus. Yeah, it doesn't help that his his writer is
0: still sitting on finishing the rest of those books. I don't know if he'll ever finish those now at this point, but he needs to so that we can just remake the end.
1: George. um, Yeah. George R. R. Martin. Yeah. He right. hasn't finished those. That's very, that's yeah. uh, come on, man. What are so you doing?
0: I'll bring us back. I, I took us on a tangent, but I appreciate you, you working this out with me. We were talking story versus ad.
1: Yeah. 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 And All we right, talked so, product
0: yeah. people. What else makes the story versus the ad? How do All right, we know? So
1: I, I think there's, uh, we said a story is not about a product. Okay. That's, I think that's, yep. um, axiomatic at this point, I think, is this appealing? I think it's a question you want to ask is, is this appealing to, is this appealing to a a human being or to a customer, um, deals, discounts, limited time, special offers, this kind of language talks to people, uh, as, as market functions, uh, consumers um you know story about a person who does things and his consequences and there's emotions are evoked and passions and morals Th- this this kind of um this kind of a journey appeals uh, to you human being now y- you say well um we're a cereal company how the hell do we do that you know it's like okay the fair but uh, you know fair we, question fair question you know we want to talk about our ingredients and our the low cholesterol stuff and uh you know how much sugar con- the lack of sugar content in our cereal okay but you what is this what what space of the human experience does cereal occupy it's breakfast and it's the time of day when your family gets to be together before you're rushing into a million other places yeah and uh it's the it's this kind of the quiet moment of home before the the kind of uncertainty of the world and so i would much rather see a a a four-part uh you know web series on on the beautiful moments that can be exchanged in that in over that setting than i would Uh, read about uh, how you've managed to uh, eliminate, you know, preservatives from this, from this recipe. Um, So I think that we're selling ourselves short when we say we don't know how to attach these things to a human narrative. I think sometimes that's just about figuring out, you know, where does this product intersect with, with ordinary lives and how do we tell a story there?
0: Let's take that further. So I mean, it's a great example because it's challenging, because it's cereal Mm -hmm. Um, preservatives if the question is, can I convey that we don't use preservatives it, is the answer. That's the wrong thing to convey. Or is the answer we can figure it out. Like, is it, was they, were they just not thinking the right direction by saying preservatives? Should they be thinking something more holistic or what's the take?
1: Yeah, I know. I I don't think, um, I just have a radical view on this, which is that I don't think you're convincing people with adjectives anymore. And I, mm. and you know, you, so you can trace advertising back super. Um, it has unbelievable roots, right? Like I think they they have transcripts of what really amounts to ad copy that comes out of the Song Dynasty. Okay, so we're talking about um, you know um, so long ago that we're we're guessing a lot of what they used this for and what it was, you know. But some of this stuff that they found it inscribed on 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 rock walls was uh, sharp needles, you know, down the street can be used for X, Y, and Z, you know, definitely reliable, you know, st- stuff where we were resources were so precious that we had to convey, uh, important information very succinctly. And it had to be reliable information and it had to describe exactly what you were going to get. Okay. Now we live in a time where things are not that hard to come by, where I have a million choices where I'm gener- going to basically assume the reliability of the basic uh, the basic uh, competency of a product. You know, I more or less assume that one Razor is at least going to work. It might not be as good as another Razor, but it's basically going to work. It's going to be as competitive with its counterparts in, yeah. in certain ways. You know, if I buy a car, I am assume that anti-lock brakes are going to be in there now. Um, so uh, this idea that we had to, com- we, this thing that kind of came out of our history where we have to communicate the very specific value of products, I think is antiquated. Yeah. So like pr- um, you
0: put pres- preservatives in there.
1: Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, 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 um, right. Like Don, the famous man, we're talking about mad men, Don Draper, when he says, how do you make your cigarettes? And the guy says, you know, well, we first, we toast them and they're okay, that's it. You know, Marlboro toasted. And he said, well, all our competitors do that too. And he goes, no, 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 their cigarettes cause cancer. <laughs> Yours are toasted. <laughs> right? it's, like, it's like, that is out, that joke is out. And That's we, out. we, you know, so um, I, I have the view that um, product differentiation is just not elite, is not, it, it's a minimum cost of entry. It's not, a, it's not a long-term strategy to differentiate your brand. Okay, so uh, on the consumer
0: side, what about on the B2B side? What about a company that launches podcasts for other companies?
1: Be more specific, Casey.
0: Okay. <laughs> a, a company that launches yes. B2B podcasts yes. for Yeah. Well, why brands. do you why
1: do you well turn it back on you? Why do you do this? I mean, you're 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 doing something oh, yeah. that is not you're not checking a box. I mean, everything you're doing here is is thought out and passionate, engaging, and you obviously love doing this. I mean, so what why do you think you why did you how did you get into this?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I've I definitely thought about that a lot. It comes down to the connections. Um, literally, you know, like we'll sit down. We're we're gonna have this like concentrated conversation. We've had a prep call, so I feel like by the end you kind of know somebody, and I really like that. And I don't think we have that. And you even mentioned the idea of the distractions. You know, oftentimes we're distracted, even if we we're in the same room having coffee. You might be on your phone for a second. I might, you know, we might check. So with a podcast, you are just focused on someone. You're listening actively. Otherwise, people are going to know that you're like, you can't check your email. You can't check your phone. Um, So I love that it facilitates human
1: connection. So that's really our why. facilitates human connection. I mean, that's a great, that's a great why. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and I guess the business rationale is like, you're going to grow because like you talk to your ideal customer and then they want to buy from you. And that's fantastic. Uh, but the step before that is what I really love, which is the fact that you make a connection with someone, and of course you want to work together. Of course you want to buy from each other and refer each other around, and uh, all the wonderful things that happen. But it all starts with that connection.
1: Well, so the, you're, yeah, and you're helping prove my thesis, which is that, you know, we said at the beginning the best way to sell something is to talk about it. That's the that's the, the myth, right? The best way to sell something is to talk about it. You're saying that what you do is try to facilitate human connection, and that sales is a byproduct. And I think that that's the way that's the the mindset shift that I think um, brands are are better off making.
0: Gotcha. So so yeah, because there's this sort of tendency to want to or to that need to say connect with your customer. Like your company will grow. Like launch a podcast, and you will grow, and you will have sales and ROI. But you know, but really the story is that you will have connections that will invite you to go hiking with them, and will. You go out to dinner together and you'll introduce yourselves to each other's family. And they
1: know you as a human being behind whatever you're doing. As a there's, a, there's an old definition of commerce, economic exchange. Um, you know, what you say, well, what is commerce? It's So we, we, we look to lower uncertainty about one another so that we can exchange value. And that's what so much media is doing now, uh, especially at the individualized level. And there's a lot of downsides to this. I mean, no, you know, Living online like we all do is, you know, can be horrible, Uh, but there's a couple of upsides. And one of them is that you can, if you use these things the right way, you can show who you are to more people at once. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so what's my short film?
1: let's talk afterwards i'll go talk afterwards yeah let's talk give it
0: away to the competitors i'm I'm
1: with you what listen we'll see but no i i think you know
0: i I hear what you're saying so the same pattern applies here where uh and i love i even drew a line between the story and the ad and I, i feel like the same thing applies for marketing emails stuff that i've taught other people it's like you're either personal or you're professional but you can't blend both people if they you know, try to make a story and if you bl- drop some kind of ad thing in there I bet it just ruins it right it just like it it, it just detracts from the whole thing because now it's an ad you know because you couldn't be, stay pure
1: or can you look what the masters are doing in it I mean the the, the yeti um, yeti what does yeti do presented by yeti what does red bull do you know red bull tv presents um, you know, um, Kate Spade, uh, Mountain Dew, uh, MeUndies, um, uh, Wells Fargo shorts, Chick-fil-A has these shorts. I mean, all these guys there, they tell you that they did it cause they deserve credit cause they did do it. And then they get out of the way and they, and they let you enjoy the story. And, um, there's no, there's no real difference in that. I mean, what, what are you getting? What are you not getting from that, that you are getting from if you're MetLife creating, you know, uh, having the MetLife stadium, or if you're Kodak having Kodak theater, uh, you know, you're desp- brands have this itch of sponsorship, which is supposed to, I guess, create brand awareness. And that's basically all they could in the past. That would be the most you could hope for. But now when you're the purveyor of the content, you're the producer of the content, you get all that credit and in some, because you are in effect... Uh, the you're the producer of of their their what they're enjoying the entertainment that they're that they're choosing to consume, um, and you see uh, Ricky Gervais come out a couple years ago at the Golden Globes and he was talking to tech companies because tech companies were the ones who had made all the content that people loved that year.
0: Yeah, I was actually just watching a clip of that again. Yeah,
1: that was um, hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. He
0: just roasted everybody, man. He crushed it. Yeah, and nobody slapped him, huh? Like, Tim no. Cook didn't get up there well, and like.
1: Yeah. Will Smith wasn't there.
0: Yeah. yeah Will Smith wasn't there. Hashtag. Um, awesome. So, okay. So I, I feel like we've got to separate the story from the ad. Um, any other best practices for creating branded content?
1: Yeah. So um, appealing. So story to, about a story, not um, a product appealing to a person, not a, a customer. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, you can ask yourself basic questions. Are you is your video? Are you in a rush? Are you are you trying to cram? Is there a narrator's voice cramming words into 15 seconds of video that all has to be said very quickly because you know someone is going to skip it as soon as they can? Um, that's not you know that's a, that's a completely intrusive uh, experience. That's not in any way anything that's trying to really engage you. Um, and the idea, one thing that people will always bring up on every call, unfailingly, is the idea that. Content has to be very short, you know. We ha- it has to be twenty seconds, thirty seconds. That's all the attention span people have now. That has been completely debunked by the proliferation and the popularity of of podcasts. Podcasts yeah. go on for hours, and the yeah, completion rates are staggering. Joe Rogan does four hour podcasts. Yeah, and he's the most popular podcaster on the planet. And so, how does that happen? You know, it's like. um I don't think that we don't want to stick with content. I don't think that's the, I don't think that stereotype is correct. I think we don't want to uh, be disrupted in our consumer experiences to be told about something we didn't ask to hear about. We've just become way too sophisticated at circumventing um, anything that is uh, out of the way of where we want to go and, um, so I would say if you're in a rush with your message, you're probably also going down the wrong road um, so true man because yeah those YouTube ads you know if you get them
0: to go away in 30 seconds you don't have to pay for it and that was crazy it just it just feels like a mechanism like yes. you can just smell that if it, if if your little message to connect with someone on LinkedIn has a call to action, why does it have a call to action you sound like a marketing campaign stop it right? Uh, so, I mean, does that follow true, especially with this content? Is there no, I mean, it's presented by, but it's not like your bar of soap pops up at the end or your software pops up at the end.
1: I don't look, I don't, I just don't know. It depends on, it depends on all the specifics. Like you, you, you can, there's nothing wrong with saying, and I don't think in any context, uh, what you do and what you sell, right? You, yeah. you want people to know that. And you always want to be a click. MetLife is very good at this in the sense when they run their, uh, they run little vignettes of small businesses on their, on their mm. landing pages. And then at the bottom they have, um, solutions for your insurance business needs. So not at the bottom of the video, but literally the landing pages at the top, they have the stories. And then at the bottom, and I get targeted with these things and I click on the landing page and I watch the stories. And then at the bottom, you know, here's how much it is to cover this amount of, you know, they give you pricing options down below. Now you didn't ask for those, but they didn't put them in the story. They're just using the story as a gateway to their other products. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that you know, I don't think it's like dishonest to try to sell your products at all. That's we're all doing it. We're all you know, we we're all agreed on this experiment called capitalism. And we're trying to figure out what the what I think we're at a time where we're reckoning with what's not working and what's driving people crazy in their in their consumer habits and what's uh, effective. And I'm just making you know the case that I think the more the deeper in the background your sales strategy is, the more effective it generally is.
0: What about product placement inside your story?
1: Branded, branded, so there's two different things. Branded integration, where you're making content and then your brand integrates in some way, like how, um, like Barstools does this a lot, where, they, where they'll uh, work in some alcohol brand into the content, but the, the point of the content is not that alcohol. Um, and then other product placement is they don't even mention it. It's just, they're just using it during the thing.
0: Are both uh, okay?
1: I mean, I you know, I, not my world. It's really not. I don't know. I mean, I know. I know no, that it's a story. You're the, you're, do I do I think it diminishes the story value? No, I don't. I mean, I. I think that I think that you. Here's the dial, right? So if the dial is set to, let's say, the dial is set to zero. Here will be an example of the dial being set to zero. Like, um, um, HP or Staples makes the office. Like Staples makes the show, the office paper wow. company. You know the office, wow, yeah. right? So that would be like we're going to make a comedy, and we're not going to ask. We're not going to ask you for anything. We're not going to ask you to buy our products. We just we're just going to make this comedy, and we're going to make it go viral, and we're going to get big talent to be in it. And if you fall in love with it, great. And if they do, then they tell all their friends. You see, the Staples made the office. It's amazing, and um. You, the staples benefit from that? I think absolutely. I think it's been proven absolutely. Um, And you look at the novelty value of places that have content associated with it. The cab driver told me that after Sideways with Paul Giamatti came out, uh, Sonoma in, in California was never the same. Napa Valley was mm. never the same after that movie. The tourist was just went through the roof after people started watching that movie. And they come there, they want to see where things were filmed, where was the winery where Paul Giamatti dumped the, the, the thing of wine on his face. And they, um, same with, um, you know, the cafe that they ate at every day in Seinfeld on the upper, on the upper, uh, east side, upper west side of Manhattan. And, um, um, auto-engineering, enrollment in auto-engineering skyrocketed after Fast and Furious. No kidding. Yeah. It it would became a real serious option. Culture, Culture has a bigger impact on commerce than we can understand. I mean, we understand it in a way because brands just want to attach themselves to that. They just want to go along for the rise. This is cool. Just mention our product at the beginning. Just talk about it. You know, they'll say, but that's, a lagging strategy, you know, a proactive strategy would be let's partner up with guys like the Duplass brothers and make something that might move the needle. And we actually own it and we produce it and we release it and let's see how it goes. So that would be an example of setting the dial to zero. And then maybe you would set this dial further up if you would say, okay, um, Baskin and Robbins is gonna make. Uh, a short film about uh, you know kids the first time they have ice cream. It's going to be four parts, and we want to see you know the, their faces and their reactions, and we want to see their parents' reactions, and we're going to do profile pieces on them. But it's going to be at Baskin and Robbins, and they're going to eat our ice cream, and we're going to put the names of the flavors on the bottom of the screen. It's like okay, well you set the dial to you know ten, but you didn't you didn't dilute the emotional value of any of that. You just integrated your product. Right. So I don't think that you. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. It's just about where you want to put the dial and what you hope to get out of it. Is there any benefit to having it? Like, is the more
0: pure, the more zero it is, the better or just be be careful that it doesn't get to like 80. Right, percent? right,
1: right. It's a goal. It's it's so specific. It's goals, yeah. it's budget. It's what level the company is. Like, yeah. if you're one of these households Brands, I think your dial got to be, you should go down to zero. You should do the Red Bull model. You know, Lexus has a theater page. They're making comedy shows. They're not for, you know, they're not pressing, pushing Lexus car convertibles into the, you know, maybe they are putting them in the shows, but they're not like, uh, it's all about the entertainment. The entertainment value is paramount. Um, If you're a middle tier brand and you can't afford to pump a million dollars into a TV show, maybe you're going to spend a hundred thousand or 50,000 you know, you want some shots with your stuff, with your coffee cup in there or something. I understand that. That's, I don't begrudge that decision at all. And I think it's smart in that case. So um, I think it's goals, size of the company, the extent of the commitment. Sometimes they do one three-part series and, you know, if it doesn't work, they want to, they want to know they, they at least got some ad assets out of that too. Yeah, that's true. Um, So I, I think it's very specific.
0: It's crazy, man. I, I love this. This is, this is a fa- fascinating topic. And I, I love the direction it's going. Just the idea of entertainment instead of interruption. And, mm. and I think to, to sort of wrap that up, I actually don't mind product placement mm. because it's so much, I, I the, the, the plot continues, it doesn't interrupt anything. It just sort of, and it's, funny, it's like, yo, look, there's a bag of, you know, sometimes you notice it, sometimes you don't. Exactly. But, uh, I'll take that over interruption any
1: day. Oh, absolutely. No question. No question. Yeah. And if you, the more you trust the content, like, uh, wrote like these podcasters, you know, there's there's the circle of LA co- podcast comedians, they sell, they like everything they sell on their shows sells because they trust them. People, the entertainment value is so authentic and they yeah. work it in. Sometimes they're very funny about it, you know, they work it in in a really organic way. And the Barstool guys, they they sell everything that they bring on there. You know their their stuff is um, they they really commit and they want their partners to do well, and so people I don't think they don't think they're being fooled or tricked. They think okay, you know these guys have found a really interesting way to integrate what they want to sell.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, my next question really is, who are you? <laughs> How do you know all these things, this guy? Can you, can you take me back a ton? Little Zach days. What was it like growing up? Did you know that you were going to be destined for entrepreneurship and story creation and all these amazing adventures?
1: Um, uh, did I know that I was being destined for amazing adventures? I hoped. Um, <laughs> uh, I was obsessed with stories. Um, I discovered lit- literature was, you know, my thing. But I discovered that, like, in, when I first got to college, I really wasn't a good reader. I read, but I wasn't a great reader. Didn't have in sustained reading habits until I got to college. Where'd you um, grow up? In New York, uh, outside, outside uh, the city and uh, suburb of Rockland County. Um, and my family's all been lifelong New York, uh, from the Bronx, and from uh, my dad's family was from Brooklyn. And, um, we, um, I, I, from a super young age, I was, I loved, um, whatever they would read me stories, they would read me and I would try to write them on my own. And I would try to write, um, just, I would do what I heard, you know, and just write, um, my own versions of things. And then I fell in love with TV in a very unhealthy way, uh, <laughs> for years and wrote. Like before binge, like I was the original binge watcher.
0: That was you. You're like, it was
1: no, it wasn't a thing in culture. And it was like, not, uh, you know, like Netflix really made us all like that. But yeah. I would get like, my friends would be like, what are you doing? Just going to watch like 14 episodes. I was like, yeah, I'm going to just sit here. DVD sets, you know, like I had DVD cases. Um, and no one else was doing that. And it was like border, it was unhealthy and it was unhealthy. It's, it's unhealthy now. And I actually don't do it now because I realize it's terrible. But now everyone else is doing it, and I stop. But uh, but um, I from like eleven or twelve years old, I just watched all these shows and then tried to write my own scripts of them. Um, kind of like fan fiction, kind of thing. You like, yeah, sort of fan fiction of use whatever, those characters. You know, Law and and Order, just, yeah, uh, Sopranos, West Wing, um, anything. Jag, that, what's that? Jag? No, I don't wear any jag. But anything MacGyver. that I thought was so cool, yeah, MacGyver, I thought was so cool, like Tarantino movies, you know, I would just like oh, yeah. try to write my own stuff. And then so I just write screenplays all the time. And then um, I became a little more normal in late high school, um, you know, not very, but a little bit. And then um, I got to college as an English major in college and uh, realized that you could be right. Like you could do creative writing. I didn't really know about that. And so I did that, and then after I had a professor who encouraged me to apply to an MFA program, Master of Fine Arts program, which I did in in late, at senior year of college, and I got into the New School um, MFA program in Manhattan, and uh, lived there for a few years, and I interned and had uh, uh, short jobs at various literary agencies and publishing houses. Wow! And um, read. To where mo- mainly my job there was to read through the slush pile. So. I was, I was in my early twenties. I was, I was writing my own novel while I was in the MFA program and then working at these agencies at the same time. And I would write, uh, I would read their stuff that was getting rejected all day. I would just read thousands and thousands of pages of manuscripts that were getting, that weren't going to make it. Um, most cases weren't going to make it. And, um, I would try to write my own stuff, uh, at the same time. Um, and you see any patterns
0: of the bad stuff that came in? What made it bad? And then that few percent that was good.
1: It's such a good question. I don't know. I, I don't think it was all bad. For here's, here's the real answer, okay? And this is not, I don't know. How, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, no one cares what I say. So I'll say this anyway. So <laughs> um, I can't, you know, what am I going to no, one, no one's listening. No don't one one's even worry about it. No one's listening to me. It's
0: like, so it's our fine. parents
1: are listening. And it's yeah, like, exactly. You know. It doesn't matter. Um, it wasn't all bad there's an incredible streak of um, editors will admit and agents will admit that they have to personally fall in love with something. They have to fall in love with it. So it could have great qualities and not, and just, they don't want it for whatever reason. And some of it was bad. Some of it was either poorly written or hackneyed or contrived, or they had a character that uh you do just don't didn't bad writing you can see through right away you know what they're trying to make you feel and you see through bad writing so there there is a lot of that there's a lot of slush but then there's also stuff that's you know if people fall in love with a craft especially literature which is so damn hard if you fall in love with that it's likely that you have some capability and that you'll hone a better capability the longer you do it and a lot of them had um and um People, uh, you know, they would get an agent or not sell as happened, eventually happened to me, or you would get uh, you would get in the door and get meetings, but not get an agent or you just you, you got tired of sending it out and get tired of the nose and you stop sending it out. I think there's a lot of gifted people that the world will never hear from because they uh, get in their own way or they're too discouraged or they think the avenues for success are too narrow. And um, all those and didn't Harry Potter get
0: rejected sure. like
1: 15 people hundreds i think she she got rejected by everybody and she uh i mean I, I i think i'm getting the example right i think jk rowling i know she was very poor and she would sit at a coffee house and write these things and um and i don't think she i think she was had a very hard time getting in the door yeah yeah it's all those stories like that i just it. it was rejected 12 times 12 that's it yeah that's not right. that bad. Uh, true, right? It's a uh, Moby Dick. Um, they found Moby Dick in a drawer when uh, when uh, Herman Melville died. You know, I mean, they oh really? They, yeah, they they he did not enjoy any fanfare in his life.
0: Well, you know, I I once had a, a play publishing company, and I mm. because I like theater, and I wrote a play, but then I th- thought this would be fun until I realized the majority of it was reading through a lot of plays, yeah. <laughs> and they most of them weren't good, but. To your point, there were some good ones in there, and that that became hard. I see. I could see how Harry Potter could slip through if, of course, you just didn't give it a. Ch- you're tired. You're reading, you're reading all these
1: things. I I I yeah. sat with a guy on a train who turned out to be uh, a. Um, a senior producer in the, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark production company. So he had, he had literally been involved in star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all these things helped green lighting them and, and get them off the ground. And he said his job for years was to look for quality scripts. And he said, um, I said, what well, at this point I was, I think I was just in the MFA program or just coming out. And I said, do you have any advice? And he goes, get lucky. He said. Uh, <laughs> he said. I, he goes. It, it depended on. It literally depended on the the mood I was in and the day, the time of day that I read it, uh, whether I wanted to give it a real chance or not. Sometimes you read two pages, might be good. You get a phone call and you just don't read it. And uh, you know, yeah. he said it, it was re, it was incredibly based on mood and timing and subjectivity, and it's all true. There's a study that in London, the High Court in London, if they if they come after lunch. You're, they're hearing um, they're hearing cases for uh, clemency. And after lunch, the they they grant the, the proportion of cases that were granted was 70 percent higher than if oh, it was right yes. before lunch because they were cranky and hungry because they're freaking hungry. They want to go eat. <laughs> Get me out of here. These are people's lives. It's ridiculous.
0: Oh, man.
1: Yeah,
0: that's crazy. Well, clearly that guy wasn't involved in the crystal skull when he should have been.
1: There you go. That load He's of crock right there
0: yeah you know, is it me or is blaming aliens is that kind of a cop-out for a plot
1: blaming aliens yeah 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 um I don't, i'm not an alien horror guy but i know some i don't know how to ask them
0: yeah it just it just seemed like you know all the other uh raider you know indiana jones like there is like pseudo plausible mm-hmm. like, well, maybe he did find the ark or maybe this ancient temple does have a stone that not, not even it's vaguely plausible, but then then to invoke aliens is too, to my opinion is too easy. Yeah. Well, why did this get created? Oh, aliens. Oh, okay. Well then yeah, I guess yeah. we're all set then. There's no mystery. Yeah.
1: It's uh, Yeah. Uh, Deo sex machina. Well, God is a machine. So it means mm-hmm. if you don't know what, how to uh, solve a, a story hole, um, you just substitute something completely improbable and um, just say, this is the kind of cure all for everything. Um and um, uh, yeah, aliens because the aliens have no definite properties that we know of. They can have the properties that we need for them to have to solve this riddle. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. Well, that's a that's a Latin term that Latin that, term that means God is a machine. It means it's a storytelling device that is a contrivance that's the most convenient contrivance possible to help you get through the story.
0: Right, right. Whereas like uh, Ex Machina, that was a great movie. Have you seen that one? Yeah,
1: great movie. Love that movie. Yeah,
0: and it seemed plausible. Like, yeah, I'm sure some mad scientist could invent this thing and <sighs> crazy. Crazy. That okay, so you, so you're just steeped in writing. At what point are you transitioning to sort of film and the, the visuals?
1: Um when I have my I had, got married and had my daughter and then mm. um I um I um I, I wrote the novel, uh, I wrote a couple of the novels um And I got representation and, um, I don't know what you know about the world, but you have to have, um, unanimous consent among a publishing acquisitions board. So we went to all the big publishers and we would get like some positive, you know, eight out of 10 yeses or you know, like very, some good feedback, but we didn't sell them. You have to then sell the book to the, to the publishers and none of them wanted to buy the first book. Um, I moved to DC. I was doing, uh, any, number of different writing jobs there working for some nonprofits some uh some uh, research organizations copywriting copy editing had um uh Julie and I my, my wife and I we had our our first daughter Cecilia and um I was still writing I'd published a bunch of short stories i I didn't at that I wasn't at that point writing any other novels um I was very discouraged, you know, from the from the earlier oh sure uh, catastrophes, I guess you call them, and then um, I um, I started to see that brand videos were incredibly creative. I would I'd be, people would send me stuff, and I you know they were usually short, funny videos, and I realized that's coming from a brand. I, that's like we could do that, and so I had reached out to a friend who um, was really proficient with production, and I didn't know anything about production. Um, and I said, I think I can create the story, you know, the concepts. Could we team up on this? And he thought about it and then said, no. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> right? so I, I got a camera. He, we, he, he helped me quite a bit, but, um, but didn't, didn't want, couldn't at that point, you know, jump aboard, but yeah, um, yeah, I got a camera and just learned as much as I could. I learned editing. I learned, I made videos for free, um, for little places in DC, a brewery nail or an eyelash, I, I whatever you call them, salon. I don't know. And then, um, uh, one of the guys that lost on shark tank called him up and they were like, yeah, we will, you can do a video for us. Sure. So we did a bunch of like these test videos. They were terrible. Um, but, uh, but it got me to understand some ingredients that these things need to have. And then, um, and then um I, I eventually linked up with people who are much better at production than i than I was. and um, you know, I, we were off listen it, it's not it was uh, it wasn't like uh, you just show up and say, "This is what I do now," and then all these people are ready to pay you for it. <laughs> Turns out you need right. to develop a portfolio and you credibility and social proof and 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 you learn sales. And I have tremendous respect for salespeople that I never used to have um, because I just thought, Oh, I'll reach out to brands. I'll reach out and tell them, you know, well, we can do this. I didn't realize that the idea of reaching out first, that is sales. Second, you have to be good at that. You know, that's an art. Uh, And then third um, you know, you have to then present proposals for how, what money you're going to, how you're going to use their money and what they're going to get in return. And, you know, how you can help guarantee the success of the experiment, all these little things that I, that, that, that was, that was probably like a two-year detour, just figuring those things out. Um, um, and, um, and so now we've, uh, we've gotten here and uh, we're in a much better position than we've ever been. We've got a good stable of, of loyal clients. Um, we do, we operate both on a, on a retainer basis, but also on a project to project basis. We've gotten to do work for, LG and Planet Fitness and New York Post, a recurring comedy show for the for the post. And um, we do um, uh, we have a lot of short films coming up this year, one filming this weekend, another one filming in May. We have um, just did a docuseries that we just uh, we're just about to do pre-production on. We did a documentary last year that won us a bunch of film festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, we have a lot to we have a long way to go. We're in I think we're probably in like the second inning you know, we have a lot left to yeah. do. And a lot of what I'm talking to you about is, is, is my experience as a consumer too. You know, it's not like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to come off like some kind of Oracle who's been doing this for 20 years. You know, we're, sure. we're, we're starting, we're in our fourth year. We're doing very good. I think we're doing very well. Uh, fifth year, I guess now. Um, but um, you know, we have a long way to go, but I think it's an exciting place to be. Yeah. Something about that those I've been binge watching as a kid feels
0: like research to me. Feels like you were yeah. you were preparing for eventually creating. Yeah, and helping others create and tell their story too.
1: Who knows? Who knows? I hope there was some use for that for those those are. right. Malcolm Gladwell hours of consumption. I don't know if that's yeah, a real. I don't man. know if that's a real thing, but uh, it would be nice to think that the that wasn't a totally dead time. <laughs>
0: I guess it just depends on the show. Yeah. You know, in Game of Thrones, that time was completely wasted for me. Thank you, Benny, <laughs> for that. Thank you for ruining exactly. it. I'm sure that's how a lot of people feel about lost.
1: Um, but- I feel that way about lost. I don't do think they you? had a plan. I, they, I know they didn't have a plan, they had no plan. I think the game of thrones guys had a loose idea of where they wanted to go. Lost was just like, what's the weirdest thing we can do? This all right, smoke monster in the ocean. Good, let's do that. We'll figure it out later. Like they had no idea. they are just riffing, they're just yeah, like they're just taking us on this bear. journey. Let's go irresponsible storytelling
0: interesting so there, there wasn't really a, a i mean they stitched some kind of weird line together but it wasn't really a, a cohesive story where you can feel that with game of thrones you feel that for the all the first seasons all the initial seasons you can feel there was an undercurrent of some we're going somewhere but yeah you're right Lost maybe was... when they
1: got maybe when they got away from the books they started to be um they started to kind of be i think so, uh, I think without, so. without a without a net
0: yeah and, and i know he told them roughly the answer or roughly the ending he, would, he had thought about so yeah. they kind of had that in their minds already but how they got there they're like okay a b c d z <laughs> let's go <Right. laughs> um all right man so how can people connect with you professionally uh, what social sites you want them to hook you up with, and then also websites for the company. Any projects you want to drag attention to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, how we how we think about uh, branded narrative projects, especially when we don't yet know the the uh, brands, we will always have an introductory meeting, and we will come armed with uh, concepts that we think will work for them. Um, we like this process. We think it's, um, it's a great uh, way to get to know somebody. And it's, you know, there's, it's obviously, uh, there's no uh, commitment uh, required on either party, you know, we just kind of see if we think our sensibilities are a match. And um, we, we have those meetings, usually a couple times a week. Um, and oftentimes, they create the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And sometimes, sure. uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we just turn on the same page. So, um the uh, we, we love to meet uh brands and CMOs and creative directors and kind of see uh if our concepts are, are a fit. So, uh, we can be reached uh, through our website, which is humanfactormedia.co.co. Uh, my personal email or my business email is Zach Z A C K at humanfactormedia.co. Um, in terms of projects, we definitely have a lot of exciting brand projects coming down, which will be posted on our social channels and on our website. We're also doing a couple of original series. We're doing, uh, our, our first original scripted web series, uh, next month, uh, called making friends, which is going to be, um, which is about adults move to other cities and, and, um, as uh, adults have to reform their friend groups and how Mm. socially, uh, traumatizing that can be That's um, hard. Oh. Um, and um, we have original interview series uh, also about to come out uh, on all our social channels called uh, where we interview uh, aspiring artists who are doing very well in their fields very respected in their crafts either in film or in writing or dancing or cinematography or comedy uh, but they haven't kind of crested the top of their field and it's yeah. called uh, why aren't you famous um, mm. and that's, um, that's coming out soon. We're excited about that. Um, and we, um, that's it. We're based, uh, between New York and Nashville. We have production teams in each, in each spot. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're always looking to, to collaborate and to get to know people. So feel free to reach out. You're still living in New York. I'm in Nashville. I moved You're here. in Nashville. Hell I'm yeah.
0: Here. Nashville's yeah.
1: great. I'm from New York, but I, but I'm from here now. Yeah. I live here now. Yeah. oh, that's it's awesome. a great place. Does that mean you have
0: to root for the Titans now? Or are you still like Jets hardcore? It means
1: I'm as ambivalent as I ever
0: was. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on here, um, hashing out these topics, schooling me on story and ad. I I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for for giving me a chance to hear myself talk, Casey. I appreciate it. (laughs) And um, it was so fun, man. I appreciate it. And let's keep in touch. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And for those listening, If you learn something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, then share this episode with someone else. That's how you show thought leadership It's just getting this in front of one person, two people, 3,000, whatever the case may be, get good stuff in front of other people. We're talking about the interruption, the entertainment, the branded content that the brands are stages now, man. Wow. It's so exciting. It, it, it's it's time to make our four way in there. And so all the brands listening, think about what your brand could do. Dream a little bit around that and then definitely reach out and uh, get on Zach's list and have that conversation with him and his company, man. So cool, man. Zach, thank you again, dude. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate Alrighty. it. righty. Well, this has been another exciting episode of the hardcore marketing show. We will see you all next time.